Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast, where we explore the exciting science behind heart rate variability. The material discussed in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Please check with your medical provider to make sure any suggestions or strategies are right for you. Visit us at the OptimalHRV.com website to learn more about the Optimal HRV app, download a free copy of Matt's book, Heart Rate Variability, and also get show notes and additional resources around heart rate variability and its applications. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I'm Matt Bennett, and I'm really excited uh, for our guest today. Uh, Diane Wilson is someone who is, uh, I, I consider, a mentor in the social media space. Uh, we, we met in Irving, Texas for the AAPB conference, uh, and I was blown away by how poor and bad I am at social media and how good she was. So I followed her. <laughs> I've, I've learned a lot. And besides teaching me how to tweet, uh, by example, um, uh, about a week <laughs> or so ago, I finished Brain Dance, uh, her latest book. Um, that I just thought was, I, I had to reach out in hopes she might come on because I know heart rate variability was uh, a part of your journey to recovery. And it was so inspirational that I thought, hey, if I could uh, get the, our audience aware of your work, I'm sure some already are. Uh, I think it's great to get it out in the world. So uh, Diane, besides being my role model on Twitter, uh, I'll let you introduce <laughs> a little bit more formally uh, to the rest of our audience. Oh, great. Thank you, Matt. I'm just so excited to be here. Honestly, I I really am. I have looked at your books. I downloaded your app, all these, listened to you speak and Oh my gosh, Ian is just one of my favorite people in the world. So I, as well. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, Dr. Ina Kazan. Yes, she reviewed my book, Brain Dance, early on and loved it. And I felt like the world was going to be okay <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. because she really loved it and in that it just gave me such hope. Um, she also found a problem with it that I fixed around HR heart rate variability. So you guys are the experts. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, so I'm a peak performance coach. I'm here. This is, I'm in downtown Chicago. I have last year released brain dance and this year, the audio version of it, just because people ask us to access it in different countries and they couldn't so that helped them and um no i'm just excited to be here i'm it's a great friday afternoon awesome well let, let's start out with I, I feel it's funny like even when we had a little internet trouble at your house so you had to come to your office i feel like after reading your book i i, I like well well did you enjoy your drive because i know that that was something that was uh, a part of the journey and, and all that stuff. So uh, you can't <laughs> read Brain Dance and not feel like I've known you for uh, a good portion of at least your adult adult life. So <laughs> I, I would like to uh, kind of just ask you a question. Uh, again, the book answers this a little bit, but I, I would just love to hear you talk a little bit because I think with the concussions, traumatic brain injuries, uh, it's something in the world that I spend most of my time in, which is 
folks struggling with poverty, homelessness, addiction, it's something we need to talk more about. I think what, what I sort of get is um, sort of this sense of helplessness around it. It's like, well, it's happened. There's not much we're trained to do about it. So it's sort of just something, like I said, that I, I really try to bring to people's attention. So I would just love to uh, maybe just throw out a real general question about um, if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit of your experience um, that, that you share in the book about uh, your personal experience with traumatic brain injury and concussions. Thank you. I think it's just a great question. It, it relates to all of that, that, okay, so I was driving down the street that I just came from, you're right, <laughs> and uh, sitting there and uh, a car drove into me. He took a wide turn on a rainy day and just drove his car into mine. He didn't brake properly. And so it wasn't the worst accident. It was not, but I definitely had a concussion. I had a, a moderate concussion and, you know, my life turned upside down. And so brain dance is about that journey of, of having your, your brain impaired and not believe it or not, <laughs> know yeah. it, yeah. which is, is weird as it is true. Um, so that's, you know, just all the, it's your awareness that's impaired. And so that is, means most people probably saw before I did certainly knew something was wrong, but I did not. And so it's, it's on that journey and then how the tools that helped me, but in terms of poverty and homelessness, I do think there's a, just such a huge inequity about yeah. how people learn about these things. First off, like most people don't understand concussion. And then secondly, I think a lot of what we we see uh, that are barriers that we don't see in, that result in poverty and homelessness is related to the brain. And so it's not an equal playing field. I right. mean, I could have easily been homeless poverty because but I was lucky and so that's why I wrote the book I felt like I was extraordinarily lucky to have these second chances and these insights to find out that it wasn't just I was just going to be that way <laughs> oh no <Right. laughs> kind of thing after I was injured but but that I was I was injured and that I had time space and tools but I bet but without awareness most people don't have a chance for that uh, experience. Right. And I, I think, it, and I, I just want to thank you uh, on the podcast for being, I, I, what, what I experienced is just so incredibly vulnerable, uh, uh, you know, and honest in, in the book. It was just like, you know, so powerful I, to really, as, as somebody who tries to, and I, I don't claim expertise on, uh, TBIs and concussions. I, I've done, I've worked with populations that have experienced it, special education and others. So I probably, you know, know more than maybe 90% of the population, but I would not claim expertise. And one of the things I think that mi is missed out there is that that firsthand account of what it's like to be going through that experience. Uh, and uh, your, your your husband, who just seemed like you know, in, in the psychological trauma world, we talk about protective factors. 
so much and, and seemed like somebody that was always there uh, along with your journey as well. And and I would like to, you know, kind of ask that, that follow-up to that because, you know, with my sort of where my expertise does lie is with psychological trauma. And, you know, what I find fascinating is we are almost obsessed now, even societal-wide, when Oprah writes a book on the topic of, you know, trauma in the brain. And we've really, I think, incorporated that almost. And a lot of us have been working decades to, to get to this point of that's understood in society, that something happens to you. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, you speak so eloquently of that in your book. And, and I, I would love to like, sort of, I, I've been actually dying to ask you this question. How, how do we talk about this now that psychological trauma, adverse childhood experiences is in the public consciousness? Do you have any ideas or thoughts about how, how do we bring TBIs, concussion, brain injuries, um, into as almost like an equal partner or a complementary, you know, piece to our discussions around the impacts of trauma on people's life out outcomes. Good. Okay. So it is good. Oprah has introduced this concept of trauma and more people can understand it. They, they understand that trauma now is part of the language. And you're saying like, how do we do that for brain trauma? which is interesting because emotional trauma is becomes brain trauma. Yeah, like your exactly. brain trains. Yes. So your brain uh, is affected by emotional trauma as well as physical trauma. But um, those awarenesses are really uh, new or miss. They're not there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think little by little, more people are writing about their stories and developing a language. But then also, I think we have the potential of, you know, putting a, a, a feeler into some of the areas, other areas that are more known, for example, brain fog, that yeah. term brain fog with COVID, like COVID brought us want many of vocabulary and one is brain fog. And a lot of people have experienced it. Well, that's part of what a concussion, a, a brain trauma can be like. It's like a lot of brain fog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, one of the reviewers on Amazon of Brain Dance said that this is just like what she went through with Lyme disease. That it, you know, that sense of, you know, confusion and like you're not right, your processing is slower, uh, all those um, kinds of things, maybe some dizziness, headaches, uh, it, it, vision sensitivity, sound sensitivity, that those can all be part of the package. The problem is that they're a part of a lot of packages. And so, you know, a lot of different conditions, but but those are part of brain malfunction. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I think that that's a perfect example of really bringing, widening this conversation, you know? And I, I think that that's, I think we were so odd initially that, wait a minute, something, something psychological, something like, and, and I think you do a good job in your book too, about connecting the physical trauma uh, with the, the, the psychological piece of that as well. And, mm -hmm. and really, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to challenge people to, how do we assess for this? Uh, how, how do we mm -hmm. assess to, to know, uh, because so much of psychological trauma, 
especially what I deal with is especially early in childhood when that brain's rapidly developing, mm-hmm. you know, it leaves a, you know, a physical wound a- as well. And so, you know, yes. that's where I, I, let me ask the question and we'll, we'll get to your work here is how do you think about that clinically of, you know, knowing that people come in with a variety of physical injuries, psychological injuries, you know, uh, now, now that you're in the biofeedback practitioner chair, uh, <laughs> well, what are some ways you, you sort of assess and think about that? Well, let's see. Uh, assess and think about the, the um, relationship between maybe what we call psychological mm-hmm. trauma and uh, traumatic brain injuries. Let's see. That's, I look at symptoms and, and that's what I treat. So that's somebody else can, I, I can't diagnose at that level because yeah. I'm, I'm licensed to diagnose mental health conditions. And so I look for those and I understand and consult with people who have a bigger picture than me. But, and so in terms of um, assessing, then I look for patterns of symptoms. I, I see mostly people who are working in business. I work with adults and I work with, with high performers. However, and most frequently people that have barriers, you can look back and you can see the brain. And then there are those signature pieces of traumatic brain injury. And, And so almost no one can answer the question of, did you ever have a head injury? There's, there's something about that question that we cannot psychologically answer. I mean, in my training, there are all these handouts and ask them this question and ask them that question because most people can't accurately, most of us can't accurately uh, answer that question because we don't remember it. It got blotted out. Okay. So, so even if you've asked the question, did you have ever had a head bump? People will say no. And then you'll see like the signature patterns of probably an injury. And then they'll remember from a long time ago, or they fell off the crib or, you know, there was things. So the, most of the injuries I see are, are older ones, but it's so exciting that people would come in because years before I became an applied neuroscientist, I did career coaching and, and in career coaching that I always had people that I just really love these people, but they had so much going but there was something that got in their way all the time. And now that I'm, you know, done all this training and learned from people like you and your, your colleagues that I know so much about, you know, so much about success depends on the brain and those injuries that happened before can crop up in different ways to give us problems. So maybe it's our threshold for, you know, emotionally being unregulated or, it's um, procrastination or these really stubborn habits can be early injuries or different brain patterns. So I feel like it's, for me, it's kind of all coming together in ways that just make me even more excited about working with the brain and the body for success. Absolutely. And so I think one of the the key streams of, of your story that I personally just found fascinating and really kept me engaged all throughout the book was, you know, in many ways, your journey, your healing journey, which which was sort of, to me, the theme, the overarching theme of the book, but how biofeedback uh, really plays a huge role 
And as you mentioned, now you're doing this professionally. And I found myself during the book rooting for you to pass your exam. Uh, like I was rooting <laughs> for a sports team, even though I, I knew I was not in our, I assume knowing that you were there, you, I, I kind of knew the outcome eventually. But, but, I, but I would love to share, like, yeah, you, you have this, this huge thing happen in your life. And just sort of the role biofeedback has played in your recovery. Uh, I, I'd love for you just to talk about that. And I, I kind of gave away that the leading you to now, <laughs> now being that helper for, for other people that, that were in your situation too. I know. I think biofeedback is, is so amazing and it's wonderful because even though I've done meditation, I've, you know, had great teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh and in yeah. person, Daniel Goleman, you know, I've been to conferences with these people and so lucky. It's like, I'm not a meditator. I'm <laughs> like, I like numbers and graphs and yeah. I'm, I'm just not, when I first wanted to meditate, they said, mm, we don't think you should even try because I have attention deficit disorder. I'm like, it's my temperament. I don't take naps. I, you know, I just have a lot of energy and sitting still maybe, but probably not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, I love biofeedback because you get numbers. You can see inside your body. You can make a difference like this. I like this, yeah. this has a, a task. So yeah. I, that's where I feel like my people like it. You ask them, would they meditate? It's like, mm, maybe, you know, some of them do. It's good. I'm glad they do. But it's like, oh, watch, let's see how this works. Let's look at your heart rate variability. And they're like, I'm on it. They get rings and they get devices. And now they can get your app, of course. And but, you know, things that show us inside, like how we're how we're doing. And I wonder, you know, as you know, now that heart rate variability, it's interesting from my perspective because I I came upon it like about five years ago, and it's like, you know, so I'm still new to the biofeedback arena and and getting trained and learning and reading, and that's where also books like yours uh, really really are important as far as my learning journey. We, we were talking, uh, mentioned Ina Hazan, who's just uh, I feel like I sit at the feet of the Buddha every time she opens her mouth uh, and to now call Love her, her. As, as yes. well a friend mm -hmm. is because uh, as, as brilliant as she is professionally, she's also got one of the kindest, biggest hearts you'll ever, uh, uh, mm -hmm. person you'll ever meet. And so, you know, it, it, you know, I got really excited, sort of a tech nerd. Uh, I, I was trying to, to, to figure out how to use technology and mental health for, for a long time. So I wonder, obviously, you know, you mentioned heart rate variability in your work, how uh, the connection with heart math that, that you did. And I just kind of, as you've evolved professionally and as you've seen a, a, a bit as biofeedback is now kind of more and more on our phones and, and mm -hmm. as, as well as in offices, but it's, it's starting to really row. I feel like, you know, when I, when I discovered heart rate variability five years ago, it was like trauma was in the early 2000s. It's like, mm -hmm. there were some nerds out there like me who were like getting together over breakfast to chat about it. And, and heart rate variability seems there uh, and growing rapidly now too. And I just kind of wonder, like uh, specifically around heart rate variability as a bio biofeedback professional, how have you seen it sort of grow and where do you think it might 
uh, sort of take us now that it's sort of getting in the mainstream um, and in a, a big way now that all the professional athletes and everybody are on it? Yes, I increasingly see it as part of our language, you know, again, again, you know, bringing in points of language and, and so more people are talking about it. And I think more and more people like devices and apps. They like, (laughs) they like things that can make a difference. I think a lot of us feel, especially now, you know, times are very hard and, and, and this is something we can control. This is look, you can look at it and you can make it turn green or, you know, you can make a difference. So, so there is that. And then, and then with kids, kids love it. (laughs) So I, yeah, I see it as becoming more uh, a part of our daily life, especially with, you know, bands and wrist, uh, chest bands and, um, you know, different devices, clothing that you can wear that gives you biofeedback. It's right. incredible. Yeah, um, technology is getting really, really cool. I'm still waiting for a really good, like, $35 heart rate variability monitor. If anybody's out there. Uh, I but, know. You know, it's it's interesting. Like Because, again, working especially in areas of nonprofits, there, there's not the four or $500 per person to spin. So I'm still kind of well holding my breath for that, but it's really cool, especially if you got the money, what, what you can put on your body now and what that, that, yes. that you. But I think, but I think also that's a good point that, that these things can cost. And, but I think once people start it, then they don't necessarily need it. Then maybe pacers, you know, yeah. the inhale, exhale, I made a meditation with that on it recently. And you know, just, I think pacers and I don't know, people just incorporate it. They sometimes don't need any of that. I have someone I'm working with and was really surprised this person took to it. It's a teen and, um, and (laughs) they're like, no, don't need anything. I can do this. And then they kind of learned how to power down and it's amazing. They, they, they get it. So it's, um, there's a lot of learning though with it. There's the numbers and to start, but also not losing uh, touch with the internal states that go with it and to develop an awareness of what the states are and when they change. And so that when we don't have devices that we can read ourselves and do the next right thing. So we'll feel, we'll feel in control, bring our best self to things. Yeah, I, I I gave one of my first in-person keynotes uh, this week, and I was a little, I had the butterflies, which I love the butterflies, because I speak so much, sometimes the butterflies, I don't know, it's kind of nice to have those pre-game jitters, uh, I, I actually enjoy that, so I was again a little nervous, and I was like, I stuck out to the hall, hall and did some RF frequency breathing, uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily to calm down because I wanted that that energy, but to to optimize it, which is just a really good example of of that for me. It's like okay, because I still I think when I count, I count too fast, so I still need that pacer uh, <laughs> right now uh, when I'm excited, mm-hmm. especially. But it's it is it, you you start to and you kind of feel that all right, I'm there. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you, gotta, you almost feel your HRV going in that positive direction yes yes 
So I would love to, I, I always love to have authors on because I love this question. This is my favorite question as a podcaster is, I, I would imagine, and you shared some of this in your book, because if, if I'm right, if I'm remembering this right, you were in the middle of publishing your uh, back in control book uh, when the injury happened. I mean, do I have that somewhat right? Or it was just published? Just, it was published within the last year okay. of, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously knowing what everything it takes to get a book into the world and then getting people to read the book, uh, how, what, what that, that challenge was. But but with this one, especially a book that was so reflective and so, so personal mm-hmm. with, with the professional scientific scattered throughout, I, I wonder what insights you had as an author, because I find when you write a book, things come to the surface that may have been there but not as powerful or you, you just didn't pay as much attention to it so so mm-hmm. i'd love to i'd love to learn any insights uh you had in the process of of writing the book well what was that like for you oh my gosh i mean early on when i started to write it i had an editor say you know you should really beef this up and tone this down and I go, why? And she goes, it'll make it a better story. And it's like, I'm not doing that. Like, this is my story. I, How could you possibly write a book that wasn't just, it's like, the truth is your guide. Yeah. So let me see, I have to get back to your question, but that's pretty loaded for me. It's it's like, um, yes. So, so from there, the task is to write your story, just to be really truthful and to deal with whatever happens from that. So, so things that came from that, I, I don't know, I felt like I understood my mother by the end, <laughs> by the end of that, which should sh- surprise everybody that knows me. <laughs> yeah. I am my father's daughter, but um, <laughs> no, really, no, I had a lot more compassion for her and kind of a deeper understanding of why I like the work and why, you know, I feel a spot for parents, you know, as one of eight children and love my mom, but she had a really hard life and it was hard for all of us that she did and all that. So, um, so I think I was just much more forgiving and knowing that every parent wants to be a good parent in the end, that's what they want. And I think that's what I love about these tools is that they allow people to be the people they want to be. That's, you know, the hope, the vision. And, um, and so that's where my book kind of talks about that a great deal at the end about how these are personal choices to learn and use these tools and to be able to transform our more difficult reactions to let us be the people that we want to be. So that was consolidated (laughs) by writing that was not there before it. I mean, you've written what, three books? Um, actually now it's five, almost five. to the embarrassing <laughs> number, almost to the embarrassing. Cause oh you know, God. some people have like 50 books and I don't want to be that person. Cause I can't oh, understand yeah. how you live life and write 50 books, good books at least. I, but yeah. I do remember during your presentation, you go, I'll go off and probably write another book. It sounded <laughs> like you had many, <laughs> but, um, yes, I, it's like, it, I, I think for many people that writing a book that you learn things that you didn't know you needed to learn. And so 
the point I'm making is that it's like only the truth. I, I feel like the emotional truth is there and that I just learned a lot. I also learned a lot, like since it came out, it's funny. My first book was, you know, advicey. It was coachy kind of, and people liked it. But on this one, I feel like people know me and it's curious. I get, I get notes four or five. The, I mean, it's been over a year since my book came out like a year since um, brain dance came out. It's been a year and like four months. I get four notes a week. It, and for the first almost year, I got a note every single day. Like someone saying, oh my gosh, this, you spoke to me, like you, so people feel like they know me, which I'm really glad because <laughs> I get lonely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I need people. Some people don't need people. I do. No, I, and I just love it. I, I think that's maybe at least in my mind, like every author's dream is to touch people yeah. with their work and, and to make a difference. So this is I don't know what else I could write after this, although I'll, I'll so, certainly be trying, but it's been a, a beautiful uh, experience, honestly. To I'm, I'm so glad to hear that too, because I, I, yeah, I, I like, I've never approached uh, the, the memoir like, like this and, you know, the level of vulnerability. I think whenever you publish something with your name on it, it's a very vulnerable thing because it's like is anybody going to read this is my mom going to read it even like you know and, and I, I seem to find I, what my whole strategy is to find where things don't currently exist like there wasn't really an accessible book on heart rate variability out there when I wrote my heart rate variability book which kind of takes the pressure off because I always ask myself can I write something better than nothing and mm -hmm. you know it kind of sets the bar a little low but it's still a very <laughs> vulnerable experience like after mm -hmm. probably about halfway through it's like it's funny because you're, you're such a personable individual like when when you stop by our booth at uh, the conference, uh, I just kind of fell in love with your personality, like right away. It's like, uh, she's really cool. Insane. Like, uh, like she, she's like, awesome. And then uh, following you on social media, I was like, oh, she's also brilliant at the same time. And oh, <laughs> you actually, thank you. Put posts oh out gosh. there that are meaningful to the world, uh, unlike myself. <laughs> but I try, I'm trying to follow. I, I, yeah, I just need to take more pictures, I think. But, uh, 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 you know, so, so, so let me get you out of here on, on, on sort of this question, because I'm really interested with this, uh, is where, where do you see yourself going? I mean, you, you took us on this journey in brain mm -hmm. dance, uh, from some pretty low points, but your resiliency always seemed to, you know, carry you through. I, I was never like worried about you in the book. Like I was like, you know, she's got, she got something, uh, you know, you had people in your life that, that cared, loved you there. There was like, there was, there was like, like I said, in, in the psychological trauma world, those protective factors, you had enough of those internally and externally that I, I wasn't worried too much about you, but to watch your growth uh, throughout the, the your recovery and then you know what my favorite words post traumatic growth which I, I think would be one of the the keywords I would term for your book. Well, what's what's your next step? You you've achieved amazing things. Uh, uh, you know, re recovered beyond I think you know <laughs> expectations at least at the beginning of the book. So, well, what does the future hold in store for you? Well, what are you fascinated with now? Uh, let's see. First of all, <laughs> is 
After having an injury that you didn't know it that impaired your thinking, it is really nice when people say you're smart because <laughs> you don't feel that way. It's like, oh no, I was that way for a long time, right? Really slow, talk slow. Nobody would tell me, but so I, I don't know. Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> I, um, Cause yeah, secretly you go, oh no, is it still happening? That it's just a, a crazy fear. Um, so now I'm developing tools to help people recover. I'm developing materials for the mental health crisis right now. So those are the things I haven't started the next writing project, but I'm working on programs that people, groups of people can be in all at once and kind of connect. So it's like this pandemic is really hard on a lot of people and you know, every the all the mass shootings, all those things, I just think are a result of how many people feel very isolated and alone and and uh, so and, and are struggling. So I think that's really a goal for me. I think a lot of managers, leaders feel very pressured or kind of people do one one or another thing like get completely out of touch or you know, weigh it it weighs very heavily. So that's that's what I'm doing now. Just working, <laughs> keeping awesome. busy. I enjoy this process right now. It's it's a nice process. Very cool. Well, let, I've, I've got uh, uh, in the show notes contact information. But let's say somebody's just driving in a car. Uh, why don't you give them a little bit if they're if they're looking for you if they want to buy the book? Where where can they find out a little bit more about you and your work? Uh, let's see the book you can learn more about at braindancebook.com. Great. Brain, so that's all one word, braindancebook.com. And then my website is dianegwilson.com. And that awesome. just shows kind of the arrays, array of things I do. And yes, the, those are the, oh, and then I have a podcast too, but my podcast is on, um, sabbatical <laughs> it's on break <laughs> until next year i did i was very lucky you know i mean doing podcasts like doing this with you is really fun and in doing podcasts i interviewed people on sleep and uh you know different parts of mental health and medicine up until these uh, january and then i worked on the audiobook <laughs> And so. like I would like I was saying, I have so much respect for you recording uh, your own audio book. That, that is something that I, I have not attempted yet uh, with a little bit of uh, learning disability myself. Uh, I, uh, I'm not great at reading out loud. And uh, I, I think the fact that it was in your voice uh, and I'm an audio book. It's basically all I do nowadays. Uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to live in a beautiful place. So I just love to walk and and listen and learn. And uh, I, I, I don't know because I don't have anything to compare it to. But I think the fact that you made that decision may have made the audio book twenty percent better. Uh, I just, I just felt like I, I don't know. I, I won. I wanted it in your voice, and I was so glad that you made. <laughs> made that decision so oh good thank you i know it's it makes reading of it i think more more real yeah yeah we de debated do you do this but no thank you for saying that I, I definitely made the right choice so we'll we'll put those links in the show notes as well but uh 
Diane, thank you so much uh, for, for spending a little bit of your Friday with me, uh, uh, for your patience and work to get around the internet issues we had initially. Um, it was definitely worth it. So, um, and I, I will just put out there one more time for uh, our listeners, uh, brain dance, uh, pick it up. Um, also, I think it's just such a great resource for people who may tune in to me or our thing for more of the psychological trauma perspective. Uh, we've got to get better around the traumatic brain injuries assessment, uh, treatment. I, I've been able to work with some great occupational therapists. I'm excited to bring the biofeedback folks into these conversations because it may take adding a few members to our treatment team who have this expertise and have these tools if you don't feel you have them. But again, it's it's something we've got to really start to think about uh, in a big way. So I, I thank you for your work and uh, spending a little time with me to help further this message. So thank you so much. Thank um, you. And as always, Heart Rate Variability Podcast at uh, OptimalHRV.com. Show notes, links will all be in there as well. So everybody have a great day. Uh, Diane, again, thank you so much for the gift that you gave to the world. Thank you so much.